0: many years I taught high school world religions classes using the book God Is Not One by Dr. Stephen Prothero as a core text. My students loved the clear writing, the sports analogies, the cultural references, and the conversations that occurred the day of our full class discussions on chapters. The book was crucial to my development in teaching about religion, and I went on to read all of Dr. Prothero's books afterwards as well. Due to my decade of being a fan of his work, it is a delight to welcome Dr. Stephen Prothero on the podcast to discuss his brand new book, God the Bestseller," A book about Eugene Exman, a book publisher and editor at Harper Religious Books Department who transformed American religion one book at a time between the 1920s and the 1960s. You can find Stephen Prothero online at StephenProthero.com and on Twitter at S. Prothero. You can find me on Twitter at Classical Underscore Ideas. It is an honor to welcome Dr. Stephen Parathero to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Dr. Stephen Perothero, thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I am delighted to have you. Uh, I'm wondering if you can just spend a moment and introduce yourself to the listeners out there, however you see fit.
1: Sure. I'm a professor of religion at Boston University, and my focus has traditionally been on American religious history, but I also write about comparative religions, religious literacy, religion and politics, those sorts of those sorts of things, and I uh, I mostly write in recent years for general audiences, I, I tend to write, I tend to write trade books that try to bring some of the things I've learned through my academic work out into broader, broader publics.
0: Awesome. That, uh, is something that I connect with a lot. So I Uh, have been a religious studies teacher in high schools for a long time at this point. And God is Not One, one of your other books is a book that I used with great success, many school years in a row with uh, high school seniors. And so you've actually been a really constant sort of presence in my own teaching. uh, And I've used your stuff many times with great success with high school students. So I mean, the fact that you are like more of like a public facing trade book author um at this point in your career is really awesome because my students in high schools have really connected with your work. So I just wanted to say that right off the bat That's that nice. I've That's used that book. Nice yeah, I've used that book many times and um it, it connects with them. So I love what you're doing. Um and you know you've got a brand new book coming out uh right about now whenever people are hearing this episode in March of 2023 called God, the bestseller. And it chronicles the amazing life of somebody I had never heard of, Eugene Exman, who I love it on um, on the blurb of the book. He is described as a now forgotten, massively influential book editor who shaped the future of American religion. And whenever I emailed you about this a few weeks ago, I told you how shocked I was by this book And you said that you were also shocked, and I'm wondering if you can just um, tell me a little bit about who X-Men himself is, just kind of the highlights, and then we'll get into your shocking journey through discovering this man's life's work.
1: Yeah, well, so X-Men was a farm boy from uh, rural Ohio. He's a Baptist fundamentalist. I was born in 1900. So uh right at the beginning of the of the 20th century and I like to think his life was really organized around an uncanny maybe mystical experience he had as a teenager when he was riding his horse to a bible study baptist bible study and the horse kind of pulled back and whinnied and stopped up short and x-men saw God at least that's how he tells the story many times maybe a dozen different times in his in his archive and I think rest of his life he was trying to understand what happened to him that evening by gathering people around him who became his friends who became his authors uh and trying to recreate it trying to get back to that moment and have it happen happen again and through that journey that drive to understand that moment he became first a editor at the university of chicago after having gone to university chicago divinity school and then he became the book editor in the religion space at Harper in 1929, and he had that job from 1929 to 1965. And during that period, he published hundreds of bestsellers, many of which people in religious studies will have heard of. the The, the most widely read book in religious studies, Houston Smith's *The Religions mm-hmm. of Man*, AKA *The World's Religions* sold 3.5 million copies or more, still selling copies. Uh, And so he published those books, but he also curated all these people around him who, like him, typically had had some kind of mystical experience like him, rejected the idea that mysticism was about worldly withdrawal, and thought that it was actually needed to point you in the direction of social reform, social activism, and for almost all of them, pacifism. and he he published amazing people. He went to Montgomery, yeah. Alabama during the Montgomery bus boycott and convinced King Martin Luther King to write his first book. And King wrote his first three books with X-Men. He, he had a hand in the writing of the big book of AA. Bill Wilson, who became his friend, the co-founder of AA, showed him. or three early chapters of the book bill wilson wanted to sell it to harper and x-men was willing to pay him but x-men told him don't give it to me you're you're starting a movement like keep it for yourself yeah um he published dorothy day's long loneliness he published a lot of buddhists and hindus he was very early on in publishing hindus in the united states uh he had a hand in aldous huxley's the printing of philosophy he threw that book through through uh, Houston Smith's books, through many other books, he popularized this idea that all religions are one, that all religions are different paths up the same mountain. Precisely that the idea that I criticize and that God is not is not yeah. one, which was one thing that really drew me to him. Wow, <laughs> is this the guy is this the guy who really made that idea happen, popularized it in 20th century America? And then weirdly enough, he also published a lot of important books and scholarly books which he saw as, as, you know, lost leaders, but he wanted to public, including uh, Mircea Eliade, Mm -hmm. um, many books by, by Eliade, who was really the most influential sixties, seventies, you know, scholar of religion. And then uh, this is going on and on because, because it's amazing. It's it's kind of a crazy story, but, but then he also has a personal life where he co founds a commune in Southern California that lasts about 10 years that's dedicated to experimenting with various practices inspired by mostly Asian religions to see if those could bring on mystical experiences. He does that with Aldous Huxley, the Brave New World uh, novelist and author of perennial uh, philosophy. He does it with a guy named Gerald Hurd, who was was Huxley's best friend, very well known in Britain, but not really known in the US, and with Christopher Isherwood, who uh, is, is a a wonderful writer and and diarist uh who who writes about his a memoir about his life with a hindu swami in southern california Mm. so he does that he takes lsd for spiritual reasons you know five years before lsd is popularized uh and becomes publicized in the united states he does it in the late 50s and he goes to india to take a guru a few years before the beatles go to india to find Mm. their to find their guru so and, and and I didn't know anything about him when I first stumbled across this story. I, I knew nothing about him. There were, there were two scholars, Matt, um, Matt Headstrom at UVA and also Lee Schmidt um, at Washington University, who had written either a chapter or a few paragraphs about X-Men, but he, he, really, he really wasn't known to me.
0: I mean, this is so amazing to me about you've been in the field for a while. You've, you know, you're a well-known figure in the field. And this was a story that kind of emerged on your doorstep, basically, and kind of blew you away from the impression that I get, like the story of reading about you walking around in the house after you were invited by the family to check it out. Like, tell me a little bit about this experience of like how this, uh, this discovery kind of felt to you in the moment of uh, learning about this after being invited by the family to check out his his uh archive and library and things like that at his yeah, so, at, at the house
1: so one thing i felt was was kind of bad and a little guilty that I hadn't shown up earlier because because i had been called uh by judy exman his daughter and asked to come over and see some books that her father had some religion books and I have actually had this request before on Cape Cod and where I live and typically you just get shown there's somebody who was a minister and you just get shown these old like collections of sermons and stuff that are right that interesting and aren't valuable and you know so I just kind of put it off but I finally called her back there had been a tragedy in the family so we put off my coming over for a while. Then she died. So we put off my coming over. In fact, one reason she had called me was because she was sick with cancer and she knew that she didn't have that much time left and she wanted to take care of this, this collection of books. And I finally got over there and I, I talked to X-Men's son-in-law, and it became clear to me that they were wanting to find a place for these books, for the book, the collection of books that he had, maybe in a university that would take them so they would stay together and they wouldn't get sold in a yard sale. Mm-hmm. After that, and so the very first book I came, I looked at on the shelf um, was Martin Luther King's "Stride Toward Freedom," and one thing that stood out for me immediately with the books was that they weren't all old like 19th century theology books, which is what mm-hmm. I was expecting. Like they were mostly mid 20th century books. So I pull off "Stride Toward Freedom," I look at it. It's a first edition. I look inside it, and there's a letter from Coretta Scott King, and it mm-hmm. says you know, dear Gene, you know, thank you so much for coming to Montgomery to convince Martin to write his first book. You've been such an important figure to him and to our family and to the Civil Rights Movement. So immediately, <laughs> I I have like hair standing up on the back of my neck, like who is this guy? Like yeah, five minutes from my house on Cape Cod. It's five minutes from my house. I, I drive by it like 10 times a week. Oh my gosh. Side. And um, so the next book, is the big book of AA? And I open that up. And it's a big book. For those of you who haven't seen it, that's partly why it's called the Big Book. It's in a large, it's a large format book. And I open up the opening like pages and I see this essentially long letter from Bill Wilson. Dear Gene, you know, thank you so much for the important role you played in the founding of, of AA. Hmm. Your advice to us was so important to me and to the movement. I value our friendship forever. Signed, you know, Bill Wilson. And I'm like what is this? Like, you know, who is this guy who, who knew Martin Luther King, Coretta Scott King, um, knew Bill Wilson? And then I just start pulling other books off the shelf. You know, Harry Emerson Fosdick, who is not as well known now, but was Mm -hmm. probably, um, until Martin Luther King came around, the best known Protestant preacher in the United States in the middle part of the, of the 20th century.
0: That chapter blew me away.
1: Yeah. And he, X-Men published, you know, over a dozen books with him. Um, X-Men was a parishioner in, at Riverside Church, where Harry Emerson Fosdick was in New York City, um, and and they were friends, and they appeared on television together, and uh, anyway, so, and you know, I opened that book, I think it was, I'm not sure which Fosdick book it was, it might have been his autobiography, Um, But there were five letters in there, one of them was about how one of the books had sold 350,000 copies. Another was a Christmas card with this amazing photograph of Fosdick and his wife, like in Maine, on vacation. Um, And so, to make a really, really long story, really, (laughs) really really longer, um, I'll get to the end here. But the thing I asked, once I was opening these books and seeing stuff inside, of course, as a historian, I said, I said, well, these books are interesting, but the most interesting things are the papers inside them. Do you have other papers? And, and, um, Walter who Walter Kess, who is excellent son-in-law, who was showing me around the house and showing me the books, he sort of rolled his eyes back and said, oh my God, nobody in this family ever threw anything away. Mm. And I'm thinking like ding, 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 Jackpot, you know, you know? And so over the course of the next year. Uh, Walter would go out into the barn behind the house and he'd fish around and find things and he'd call me up and I'd go over to his his uh, dining room and I just look through these papers and the book emerges out of uh, going through you know dozens of boxes of papers that are family letters love letters between X-Men and his wife when they were first uh, dating letters between X-Men you know, all his professional correspondence between him and uh, these authors, a uh, hundred letters from Aldous Huxley that nobody's ever seen. dozens of letters from uh, Albert Schweitzer, the Nobel Prize winner, um letters from Howard Thurman, who was a close friend of hers, his, the uh, you know, civil rights mentor to Martin Luther King. It was really quite a wonderful discovery and really exciting for me.
0: Mm, amazing. I mean, the and then, and then, something that really stood out to me too is he worked at the publisher that you currently publish with. Isn't that right? Like, there's like yeah. a direct link to a yeah. lot of like the the publisher that you personally have worked with for quite a long time now. And Eugene X Men. Um, whenever you were kind of discovering this, and you, how did you learn about the connection with Harper? And then, what did you do with Harper to kind of like dig into his career? Like, did they have stuff on him that you were able to get from the actual publishing house? Like, to to learn more about this as you were digging in for your own research?
1: Yeah. So, so after I had gone, after I went to the house, I went home and to to Google him. You know, like who is this guy? I'd never heard of him. And I looked around to see if I could find his papers, and I found that he had deposited papers at Columbia, 32 boxes of books, because he had actually written a two-volume history of Harper, like an in-house history of Harper publishing, um, which went back to the early 19th century. But there weren't any boxes there that looked like the things that were his day-to-day work at Harper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't find them anywhere else online. And so i that's when I really became convinced that they were that they were uh, in the house but but that's also when I learned that he had worked for Harper Harper and brothers and then Harper and Rowe when they changed names. And that he had been the religion books editor there and and then I just knew that that was the precursor to what became in the 70s Harper San Francisco and then what became in the 2000s like 2006 I think became Harper one which I had published you know, by that time, like half a dozen books or something for Harper one as my publisher. So I was thinking, Oh, this is my like, great grandfather, like publisher. And part of my pitch when I was trying to um, interest Harper one in the book was like, this is the genealogy of your business, Like this mm. is the genealogy of certain ideas and commitments in American religious history. But it's also the genealogy of your particular publishing company. And that was something that Mark Tauber Who was the publisher of harper one when i pitched this book to them was really um really attracted to and so it just there were some interesting weird connections like i'm not really a superstitious person or a person who believes in fate or providence or anything Mm -hmm. but i really did think it was weird that um that i was sort of handed this archive that was for my you know publishing company but also really was the genealogy of this idea of perennial philosophy which i had attacked in my own work and there was here was the guy who kind of curated all these people brought them together publishing these books saying hey look let's not fight about religions the religion the world's religions are basically the same and religion is essentially about feeling and experience and you can have the experience of God in any, inside any different, any religious
0: tradition. I love that you're the person that wrote this book because of the critique of like the religions are not the same path, different paths up the same mountain. I I just love that this is something that you were like talking about in a book like 10 years ago, and now you get to revisit the entire origin of that idea. Like it's really just a bizarre full circle for a career path. You know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: yeah and i had said you know i had said in my prior critique that listen i understand why for social and political reasons you might want to pretend that the religions are the same right but if you want to do it as a religious studies person where you're taking seriously the things people believe and do inside their religions well then it's really it's really difficult to say that oh you know muslims are doing the same thing as Christians and there really isn't any difference between a religious person who believes in many gods and one who believes in one and you know um so so I did say um that I really was doing a religious studies kind of critique and I could understand the social benefits of such an argument but you know as I went through this archive I also saw the genesis of that and and what it was responding to and how responsive it was to the combo, the one-two punch of World War I and World War II, and the search for meaning that was launched, especially amidst World War II and awareness of the Holocaust and things like that. And that this idea that that still is uh, resonant throughout American culture for people, for many people in terms of religion, that the religions are basically the same and that religion is really about experience and not about doctrine or or uh, or rituals um mm-hmm. you know that 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 has a a real social power continues to have in the United States and i think it's worth knowing where it came from
0: yeah um you know i know that you worked uh on the site uh for a long time doing research and a lot of people who listen to this show are historians and scholars, and they will know the tremendous amount of work that it takes to dig through like an archive of this size and pull out the things that you really wanna use. But a lot of listeners of this show won't have any idea what it took for you to go through this material. I'm wondering what you can talk about what that process was like of finding the stuff that you wanted to use and then pulling the story together. Like what is that journey like um, for you as as the researcher? yeah
1: <laughs> you know it's hard because there's so many uh so many parts of the story that get left on the cutting room floor like so many figures i mean i i decided early on i got some advice from from paul eli who who now teaches at georgetown but was the editor for one of my my book called american jesus when he was working at ferris strauss and Jerusalem. and he and i are friends and i talked to him early on with this and he had thought it might make sense to sort of do X Men with an author and with a book for each chapter, so to narrow it down to five, six, seven authors and and maybe a book a piece or something like that. And I I pretty much followed that uh, that outline. Although there's uh, there's typically more than one book that's featured in any given chapter, and the book sort of stands in for a broader like like a broader topic. So you know Dorothy Day, the Long Loneliness autobiography. American Catholicism. How does this white liberal guy uh, figure out he should publish Catholics, and how does he deal with his own anti-Catholic bias as he's, as he's doing that? And so, so that became a kind of cutting principle, but there are so many people, interesting people, and interesting stories that just didn't make their way into the book. And I think I think the main decision I made early on, and this was with the help of another friend of mine, a former student named Maria Smilios, who has a wonderful book coming out soon called Black Angels. Um, She and I were talking about the book, and I said, I don't know how interesting this guy is himself. You know, I think what's really interesting about him is. And I it was like halfway through the archive then. I said, you know, what's interesting about him is just his connections with other people. It's kind of amazing. And the books that he published. And she said, well, let me be the judge of that. Tell me about him. And so I said, well, so he grew up fundamentalist. And then, you know, when he was 17, he has this mystical experience. And she's like, what? Like, what do you mean? What mystical experience? Yeah. <laughs> and I started to tell her and she says, that's fascinating. Like, w- what did he do after that? And I said, well... I guess he kind of spent the whole rest of his life trying to figure it out. And she said, "I love it. That's great." And then she said, "Well, did you get what he wanted?" You know. And then I, I told her I don't necessarily have to tell everybody now about you know what happens at the end. But, but anyway, that really provided for me uh, the organization organizing principle that this is a biography. Like this is a story about a person who, who really wants something and struggles through his whole life to to get it and involves a lot of other people in that, in that process. So that also helped me decide what wouldn't be there, Mm -hmm. but, but there were, you know, he published evangelical books that did really, really well in the sixties that he didn't really want to publish, but he sort of kept getting forced by other people in his department to publish. And then the more they sold, the more he had to publish them. And so that was interesting. I didn't write about that in the book. All the books he published in religious studies, I really didn't write about them. Uh, I hope maybe someday I'll do a, a, an article on that because it's really interesting. And he published them as kind of lost leaders that that were paid for by the best-selling books that he he published. So the, those were gone. But it, I guess the short answer is it was kind of agonizing. There's so many interesting threads each letter presented that mm-hmm. I could go. And I just had to decide on a small group of six or seven people that I would, that I would focus on. And that's what I did.
0: You know, who I do want to know about is the legacy and life of Marguerite Bro, uh, another figure, kind of like an X-Men, almost like a, like a forgotten figure, somebody I had never heard of, but who seems extremely important. And I'm wondering if you can just say what you feel that everyone interested in religion and in the field of religion should know about marguerite bro her life her work relationship with x-men anything you feel is really important for people to know
1: yeah so first of all there's more letters between x-men and bro than anyone in the archive there may be a thousand letters wow the the two of them i didn't count them but it's probably close to that uh they met pretty early on in x-men's in x-men's career she had been a missionary to china Uh, She was Disciples of Christ, so mainline Protestant. And she and her husband wanted to continue that, but they had to come home to do fundraising. Then there became problems in China. They ended up having to stay. And her husband mostly worked in education. He sort of flitted around to different jobs, but she cultivated basically a kind of a gig economy career so many years before we really had Mm. a gig economy. She was a freelance editor. She was a freelance writer. She wrote all kinds of books. She wrote kids' books. She wrote young adult books. She wrote a novel that's still still uh, in print. She wrote uh, social science kinds of books. She wrote a book about Indonesia, and she wrote a lot of books about religion, books about the Bible, things like that. Um, but as she gets connected with X Men, and they connect through this this uh, medium, who is becoming very popular uh, in the I think in the early, in the uh, 1940s, and she is writing a story about him for, I think, Christianity Today. I think she's doing evangelical magazine, like she's doing a, a, a book review. It may not be Christianity Today, I'm forgetting where it was, but she's doing a book review. And she writes X-Men and she says, you know, there might be a book here for you, uh, essentially about mediumship, you know, about spiritualism and like whether, you can channel the spirits of the dead. And so they become friendly through that. And she ends up working for him. She ends up working as a freelance editor, a freelance book fixer, a book proposal reviewer, a book manuscript reviewer, and a ghostwriter. And for me, I felt she was a great introduction to all these women in publishing in the middle of the 20th century that where American publishing was really a lot like Mad Men, you know, advertising. Yeah, it's a bunch of of like white guys with suits who were having expensive lunches, and then they would publish these books. But who's doing the work? So much of the work being done in the religious books department with X Men was by women like her, like Marguerite Bro. But she also play, plays a really important role in his own life, pushing him toward a broader range of books, like toward what. The uh, UC Santa Barbara um, historian of religion, Catherine Albanese, refers to as metaphysical religion, like toward the parapsychological, toward mediumship, toward reincarnation, these kinds of things that she is very interested in and and believes in. And so does X Men, by the way. But X Men's always, he's also a bottom line guy. Like he's got to make money for the company. And he also doesn't want to seem that weird, like, you know, to his friends. So he can kind of go a little bit there, but. He can't ever go as far as Marguerite, you know, wants to um wants to push him. And as I understand their story, it really is a love story. I mean, they love each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unclear exactly what happens physically or doesn't happen physically between them. Um, and I I try to investigate that as best as I can, both through interviews with X-Men's son Wally and also through the letters that letters that I have. But, um, you know, they had a period where they really wanted to leave New York and go out west and start their own publishing company. And X-Men is just kind of anguished about this for a variety of reasons. and he, he can never really he can never really decide um, to do it. But um, she was a really good writer. Her letters are beautiful. Mm. Um, and when I first gave when I gave my first paper about this uh, this project, to some colleagues of mine at Boston University, they said, you need to write a book about Marguerite Bro. You know, she's she's fascinating and she really, really is. And um, she took a a much larger role in the book than she did originally because of prompting of people in my department.
0: I love that. Well, I was uh, reading, I read that chapter without interruption on an airplane from New Orleans to North Carolina, back to Buffalo um a couple of weeks ago during my midwinter getaway from the cold and i was my my attention was wrapped on that chapter so when when the book uh comes into people's attention in the coming days i really hope that people will pay really close attention to that story because i love that chapter so much
1: and, and you uh, know um one thing just to jump jump back in w- w- one thing that really got me was she was working on a book on an introduction an experiential introduction to the world's religions because she had traveled all over the world
0: it's like she- the smith book
1: yeah, she, it was basically she outlined and pitched and sold Houston Smith's book to Harper before Houston Smith published the um Religions of Man, the world uh, the world's Religions. and uh she could never get it done because she was just too busy. Like she had too much work from accident. She had kids. She had a husband. Her husband was uh, often a college president and she was playing the sort of, as she called it the first lady at the college where she had to do all this unpaid labor to you know, put on events and host people. And she has these really funny letters about you know, these, these uninteresting people who would you know, <laughs> walk into her kitchen she had to talk with, that she really wanted to be talking with philosophers and stuff. So anyway, oh,
0: she's and like, player. what's so crazy about that is like on a slightly alternative timeline, Houston Smith isn't the name that we'd be talking about in the field. You know what I mean? It'd be Marguerite bro. If like a slightly different couple of events had happened, that would be the name. That's right. Amazing. Um, I know that X-Men worked on an autobiography, which never really came out. Uh, what is the status of that? Um, like what is what are those drafts like for his autobiography that he never actually finished?
1: Yeah, so he really didn't he really they're really more gestures toward an autobiography. I mean, there are there's maybe five different handwritten starters to chapters or maybe short chapters. He has one called deans of my life where he he starts off the university of chicago with dean shaler matthews who was a really important figure in um liberal protestantism in the early in mid uh, uh 20th century and he then talks about these other people who sort of played roles that were similar to deans in in his life um he has one about his trip to india where he takes the guru he has one about his trip to Africa, where he goes to meet Albert Schweitzer and becomes somebody jokes and says he's Schweitzer's unofficial agent in the United States, like, mm-hmm. like popularizing Schweitzer in the U.S. through by writing magazine articles, by giving speeches, maybe a hundred of them that X-Men gave on Schweitzer. He was really enamored of Albert Schweitzer, um, who was this famed Bible scholar, famed organist who left all behind in Europe and went to West Africa in order to set up a hospital to help uh, local people and give them um, health care. Yeah, so the the unfinished autobiography really is more these gestures toward an autobiography with various chapters on Schweitzer, on uh, early influences at the University of Chicago, on his trip to India, where he took a a guru. And and they aren't really, they aren't really fully fleshed out. And, um, and he never finished it. And actually, Marguerite Bro was pushing him at the end of his life, write that book. That's way more interesting than these books you're writing about Harper. Mm. Why are you writing about Harper? I know your bosses will love that. But your story is much more interesting. And she sort of outlines a lot of the themes that end up being some of the themes in the book, you know, your the, the wonderful people you published the the idiotic people you published that I had to make look good me Marguerite broke yeah writing the whole thing or ghostwriting every single word in the book for for them um and you know that would be a good book you know and also to, you know talk about your own experiences and the things that happened to you and how you were influenced by these people who you came across
0: I love this um what were do you have a, any favorite moments that really stand out to you um that like are core memories for you while you were doing the research or the writing, like just things that really stand out that bring you a lot of joy looking back on the entire tenure process of this book?
1: Well, first of all, I love doing archival work and I haven't done much of it in the last decade of my career. Like I've, I've really been writing more synthetic projects where I rely more on other people's scholarship. And I try to come up with, you know, arguments that are are related to them, but aren't really based in archival work or ethnographic work. They're more based in secondary sources. And, uh, but, but I loved, I mean, part of what got me into doing history and religious studies was I loved archives. I used to collect sports memorabilia. I used to buy and sell sports memorabilia. And when someone would come to me at some show and they'd be like, I have a bunch of old football programs. I'd be like, I can't wait to see them. What's in there? And I would love the smell of the old stuff and the, like, it was just fun. And so for me, going through this archive was just great. Um, I had this sort of running feud is the wrong word, but, but running conversation with Walter, the son-in-law, because he, when he was going through the barn, he was really wanting to throw things away. Mm -hmm. I was wanting him to show them to me before he took them to the dump. And I was like, listen, just show it to me. I'll take it to the dump. If you, if you want me to like. And he would just be throwing things away. And, and I remember one time I came and out on his front deck was a huge garbage bag filled with Christmas cards. Mm. And I and I said to him, Walter, this is a treasure trove. This is this is how I know who he knew. Like who knew who knew him in, in 1953? Who knew him in 1941? And I went through and I found the Christmas cards from all these famous people, all these interesting people. I think one of my favorite discoveries was when I found the the reel-to-reel tape of his LSD experience. Whoa! And and I knew that he, I knew by then that he had been involved in this early LSD research. Yeah. But I had no idea that there was a tape, and so so we found that tape, and then later, one of the last things that we found was the second tape because he had two experiences and I went back to Walter this was this was just a couple months before I submitted the book and I said I think there's a second tape and and I don't have it and and I think it might be in the barn and he said well let me go look and I'll just see cuz I know there's some real to real tapes out there and he went out and he called me up and he handed me one and he's like is this it and it was it was the second tape of his of a second LSD experience of his So that stuff would happen a lot. I also really enjoyed interviewing X-Men's son, Wally, who had this real kind of troubled relationship with his dad that was never really resolved, but he was a font of information and he he was funny and he spent many hours talking with me.
0: Wonderful. Where is all of this archive now? What has become of all these materials, um, you know, in the last couple of years?
1: Well, for a long time, it was in my house, and I, I was very uncomfortable with that. I was uh, worried about. I mean, you can insure things, but I I didn't love having. I mean, I loved having it in my house because I could just be writing and I could think, oh, where's that 1953 letter that he wrote to Huxley or Huxley wrote to him, and and go look in the 1953 file or the Huxley file or whatever and go find it. So that was great, but it's at uh, Middlebury College. Um, Lori Patton, who is the president of Middlebury College, is also a religious studies scholar. I've known her since I used to teach back in the, oh my gosh, back in the 90s at Georgia State University in Atlanta, and she was at Emory. And I told her about this archive. x got an honorary degree at Middlebury in the 50s, so he has a connection there. And, and his, his granddaughter, um, Catherine Kess Christensen, um, went there, graduated from Middlebury. So there's a family connection. and President Patton was really interested in bringing the archive to a new, I believe it's a new religion and literature center that they're going to be establishing there. So it's there. and uh, his his books are there, too. They took his books, and they they took his his papers. And so, yeah, hopefully fairly soon, uh, they'll be available to scholars and others to to look through
0: wonderful. Well, I, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, I was completely shocked because when this book arrived in the mail and I figured out what it was about, I was like, oh man, okay, this will be fine. But like the the way that you tell the story and the way that your own like mind blowing experience of realizing what you had, um, and then the way that you're able to portray the life of this person that has been basically completely forgotten by the field, I was stunned. And I think this book is wonderful. I blew through it. And I completely was surprised that I did. Um, So your book completely shocked me in the most pleasant of ways. And I really hope that people out there who get a chance to check it out will because I know that they'll love it as well. Um, And I'm wondering if you can just You know, give us a little send off here about like where people can find you if they want to follow along with your work or uh, where they can, you know, find more information.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm on Twitter a little bit S prothero, S-P-R-O-T-H-E-R-O on Twitter. I'm also on 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 Facebook. uh, And the book should be available middle of March at your local bookstore, which is a great place. place to get it uh, if you want and
0: and yeah well dr stephen prothero i have absolutely loved using your work in my own teaching for the last 10 years and uh i've read all your books and this is the first time i've ever had a chance to really talk to you live one-on-one so this has been a real thrill for me it means a whole lot um and I'm just, willing, I'm just glad that you were willing to take the time to chat with me about this brand new book, because out of all the books I've read by you, this is the one that feels the like the most we had to talk about, because uh, I don't know, just something about this book. I had so many questions about the process, uh, the research behind it. So I'm glad that out of all the books you've written, that this is the one that we were able to get together and talk about. It means a whole lot that you were here today. I enjoyed it. Thanks for your time.